I, uh, I'm going to share a little story just going forward. Uh, didn't think about this today, but my dad's here. I actually learned this story from him. And, uh, oh, <laughs> look at that. Dad, first off, you should feel honored. Someone asked me if that was my brother sitting back there. I don't know whether to be insulted or you should be felt good, but I don't... <laughs> but uh, the story goes like this. There was an old... Um, there was a f- new pastor in a small town congregation. He shows up, and it was a snowy Sunday like this, and he shows up to preach, and there's only one person that has shown up in the pews that day. And it just happened to be an old farmer, and so the pastor said, you know, I'm new here. What, what should I do? And the old farmer said, well, when I drive my wagon out in the morning to feed my cows, and only one cow shows up, I feed the cow. So the pastor thought, great, you know, so he opens his Bible and goes in and then 45 minutes later, you know, he ends and sweat's beating down his face and he's preached the word of God and he looks at the old farmer and said, well, how'd I do? And the farmer said, well, when I go out to feed that cow, I don't empty the whole wagon. (laughs) (laughs) But to be honest with you, there's no partial and there's no halves or there's nothing about me that says go easy. So you're going to get the full word of God because the word of God is serious. And so... As we, um, as obviously this was dedication week and we talked a lot about what we're, where we were going as a church. And so I thought my message today would be just exactly that. What is the church and what are we called to do as a body? I grew up, um, and I don't have a lot of experience, but I grew up in the church and I've spent a lot of time in the church. My father served on staff out of church. I went to Bible college, worked with churches there. I graduated from there, helped... Um, a small pastor of a church of 50 and just volunteer. I've seen those type of churches. Before we came here, we were part of a church that went from 200 to 400 to 600 to 800 and has now moved three or four buildings because they outgrew that. And so I have a lot of experience from church. I have a lot of funny stories about church. I've also seen a lot of bad things in church. One of my favorite stories was I had become a member of my home church when I was 18 and I was so excited to show up to my first what they call business meeting and where we were discussing some things and I was able to participate and my vote finally counted at those church business meetings. And of debate that day was dancing in our newly built life center. A couple that had been raised in the church had wanted to dance one song as bride and groom, but the church's stance had typically been no dancing allowed. So they were requesting permission, not for everyone to dance, not for any other dancing, but for them to have a dance. And I'll never forget, just sitting there, and Bill Swartz, who had been married for 61 years to his wife, stood up and said, me and my wife have been married 61 years, happily, never had to dance, don't see why they need to, and sat down. (laughs) Pastor just looked at him and said, well, thank you, Bill. (laughs) Uh, I was on another, when I worked at that church, or I volunteered at that church of 50 people, um, it was a small, rural, very broken, just poor community. And so I was with the pastor, Andy, and we showed up, and we were doing some ministry, a visitation visit. And the guy said, well, I don't have much to give you, but I want to give you something. And so he walks us out back to his garage where he has his own butcher shop set up and gave us two ham steaks, and we were paid in ham that day at this church. I've also seen... Uh, some ugly things. I've watched my home church go through a lot of transition. I've watched them go through probably six or seven staff people in the period of two years, um, and not so fun. I watched this Pastor Andy pastor 50 people and have to work 40 hours a week in order to supplement it and then to pour his heart into the church, and then for just them to backbite and fall apart and then 
to lose some members to that church. The, p- the point is, church can be messy. It can be ugly. And guess what? I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and so our sins all contribute to this mess of a body, and it can be very broken. In fact, if you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, that'll be our passage, 1136 in the Pew Bibles, for all of you. Um, but before we get there, church has always been kind of ugly. Back in the early church, if you flip through just the head titles, the titles, and you don't want to do this, I'm going to read them to you, but if you flip through just the section titles of 1 Corinthians, you'll find that in chapter 3, Paul addresses immature leaders, saying, I've desired for you to be off the milk, but you haven't matured that far. Chapter 5, we find a man sleeping with his father's wife. Chapter 6, we find a lawsuit among believers. Chapter 7, Paul has to write to the church concerning divorces. Chapter 8, Paul has to write to the church about food that has been given to idols, right? The church has always kind of been filled with some sin and some ugliness. We find that in the book of James. James has to address false teachers in the church. He has to address class distinctions in the church. People were, you know, distincting between wealth and power and all of that. Um, He also had to address gossip in chapter 3 of James. And we find that church sometimes is not always this pretty, perfect image as we think or may want it to be sometimes. But through my years of church and through my experiences and through my ups and downs and through my reading the scriptures, I can remain convinced of one thing, that Christ is committed to his church and Christ is committed to his body. And he wants us to be a body of believers, sin and all. Nowhere in Corinthians does he go through and say, you know what, because of your divorces, because of the man sleeping with his father's wife, or because of your immature leaders, I want you to shut down, close up shop, and quit being a church. He actually addresses the problem and is encouraging them of how to actually walk through some of this, how to be a body, how to function as a unit among the brokenness and the pain. And so we're going to use 1 Corinthians 12 and what Paul writes there, and starting in verse 12, and we're going to cover a good bit of Scripture, and so I will read starting in verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether we were Jews or Greeks, whether we were slaves or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would our sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, Where would our sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And so... Paul is making a comparison here that the church body, our people, our fellowship here reflects our human body. Just like I am made up of, I'm sorry, Christina, you're the nurse if I'm wrong, 206 bones in my body, right? And I don't even know how many organs, but I have bones, organs, ligaments, um, and all of these things that comprise one body. And that I need all of them, that God so has orchestrated that I need every single one of those pieces and parts so that I can be a whole person. 
Just so he has designed our church body that we're all a part and we all have a role to play. Some might not like that. We may be the toe, right? No one who wants to be the toe, right? Everyone wants to be the mouthpiece or the eyes, but we all have a role to play. And the first thing that he says is, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were given the spirit to drink. The first thing that Paul points out is that he uses opposites, end of the spectrum, Jews and Greeks, free people and slaves, and saying they all comprise one body. What does that mean for us? That means Emmanuel should be a church body, and there's no distinction between whether you're a CEO or a janitor, whether you're of one race or another race, that we should be a body that actually reflects some diversity, that there should be the wealthy among us, and there should be the poor among us, and there should be diversity among our races. Because he says this, it's not your wealth or your distinction. It says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And everyone in here has been baptized by the same spirit, which means as a church, we share a common mission, right? We all have things in common. We all want to follow Christ and pursue Christ. Peter was talking and says, when Jesus says, who am I? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says, you are correct, Peter. Upon this truth, I will build my church. So we all as a whole want to build our church upon that truth, that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and we're going to follow him. That's something that unites us all together. But within the body, we all play a different role. We all have a different mission. Verse 15 says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. What does that mean for us? It means that because I might not be an, el- an elder or a deacon, or because I may not be on the worship team or I may not preach, I'm not part of the body. That'd be like one of you guys saying, I don't do any of those things, so I don't belong to this body. I don't contribute anything to the body. Paul's saying, that's foolish. I don't want my heart to do the job of my liver, right? I don't want my lungs to do the job that my feet do. I need all of those parts to work and do their function in order for us, my body, to function. And so we need everyone here to perform their function. The Bible doesn't say, well, because... I'm a pastor that it is only my job to tell people about Jesus, and it's only my job or only Bill's job. You know, me and Bill, we're the only ones that can tell people about Jesus and all of that. No, we all share in the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, the old has gone, the new has come, and just as Christ has reconciled you to himself, I have made you ambassadors of reconciliation. So all of us share in the mission and the purpose of sharing Jesus, of spreading the gospel. There's no distinction between me or anyone else upon that. But it does mean within the church, we all have different skills. I don't know, is Judy here? Where's Judy Krasinski? Is she here? She's not? She's downstairs. Oh, guess what? I'm thankful for her because she can edit the daylights out of papers and websites and all of that that I cannot, okay? I cannot do that. I'm grateful for Derek because he can carry a tune. I cannot. I'm thankful for Dieter because he shares an enthusiasm for greeting that I just cannot do. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm thankful for people like Sue who are intercessors and who pray and who get on their knees before the Lord. I need that. The skills and the abilities that I don't have are all covered by the body in here of what you guys do have. And we need to celebrate that. You know, some of us may find more joy in serving. Some of us like to work in the kitchen and to clean up the trash and to do the dishes and 
serving that way, while others may feel closer to God sitting in their rooms reading the Bible for three hours and praying. And the difference is this, is when I try to fit Mark into my box and say, you know what, and you try to fit me into your box, no, I need that. I need people that intercede and that can spend hours upon hours on their knees praying. And I also need people that can serve in the kitchen and take out trash. And so the difference is not, or the problem is not to make you fit my box, it's to celebrate the fact that God has given you a part and a role to play within the church body. And if you are sitting here right now and you call Emmanuel your home, you have a part in the body of Christ. There's no, well, maybe I don't, maybe I, no, you do. The question is whether or not we're actually fulfilling our part to the body. I've heard it said like this, that if you were to show up to an orchestra or a big musical presentation, what are those called? I'm, I'm blanking. What? Symphony. Thank you, Mark. Symphony. If you were to show up at a symphony, right, and the orchestra's playing, and in the woodwind, woodwind section of that orchestra, everyone was just playing the flute. All the woodwind instruments were just flutes. What a boring and monotone part that would be. But... If you were to play the oboe, and you, pl- you played the flute, and you played the piccolo, and you played the bassoon, and you played the trumpet, what a beautiful sounding woodwind section that we have. And the same thing that makes all of those instruments, right, produce sound is our breath. Well, the same thing that causes us and the, same, the Holy Spirit that breathes through us is that when we play our part and when we play our role and when everyone plays your part, and your part, and your part. What a beautiful sounding body, and what a demonstration of God's glory we can be to this world. So what is your part? Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says this, that let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and as a result, and, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why attend church? Why be a part of the body? It's not just to check it off or to be religious or to say that you did it and then get it out of the way. I have a neighbor that's like that. Every Sunday he shows up to, at 7 o'clock to Catholic Mass so that he can say that he checked it off and that he did it. Is that why we come to church to say that it's good? No. You come to church because here you'll hear a different message You should be surrounded by people that will encourage you. You should feel love and affirmation, and you'll hear a different voice etched into you and preached into you than you find throughout your workplace and at home the other week. Is that when you come here, it is the dwelling and the meeting together of brethren so that you may be encouraged because your body needs you, that you have a part to play. And if you don't play your part, then the body as a whole suffers. Is that we need each other. The truth is that the Holy Spirit is not any more in me or any more in Pastor Gertie or not any more in any elder than it is in Mark Alley who sits down and counts money every single week. The same Holy Spirit is in me that is in the same Matt Kirk that does sounds. By the way, I'm a youth pastor first, and so I have to honor the request of my youth. Happy 40th birthday, Matt Kirk. <laughs> But the truth is, the Holy Spirit isn't a substance where I have more of the Holy Spirit and they have more of the Holy Spirit, so I get to do this. No, it's a person. 
And so the same Holy Spirit that baptized me has baptized all of you. And you play just an equal role as what I do. It's just that my gift and my callings are different. How do I know? Paul says so. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable and we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but for that its parts have equal concern for each other. Paul's saying this. Basically, you know those parts of your body that you clothe and you give special honor and that we think are just one of hidden and ugly and indispensable? God's saying, in the church, there's parts like that. There's roles like that. And they are just as honorable, if not so, more. And so maybe your job may be to fill the pews and sharpen the pencils. Maybe it's to sweep the carpets. Maybe it is just the phone calls and the texts that no one will ever see. Or maybe it is you with your morning prayer list going through the needs and concerns of all the members and praying for them, and no one will ever know. But we need each other, right? We need your meals. We need your prayers. We need your phone calls. We need your encouraging text messages. We all need each other as a body. If not, we walk in isolation and fear and loneliness if we all fail to play our role in the part of the body of Christ. So I don't know all of your gifts. I don't know where all of you guys have been, you know, blessed by God. But I know this. I know that you have a part. I know that you have a role. And I know that God is asking you to play it and to be it and to live it. And there's a lot more to church than walking in and slipping out and hearing a sermon and singing songs. Paul says this, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Simply put, we should be so united, so interwoven, our lives should be so connected, and I should have such concern and care for the things going on in your life that when you over here suffer, all of us are on our knees praying for you. And that when you over here get a job promotion and you experience some favor of the Lord, we're all rejoicing because I care about you so much that I want to rejoice in the things that cause you to rejoice. That our lives aren't meant to be lived in isolation where it's afraid of sharing things because, well, what do they might think? No, I want to share things because I know that I got a church body that's going to take it to prayer and they're going to intercede on God for my behalf. And I want to share my blessings and I want to share my victories because I have a church that will rejoice with me. And so we have a call as the body to have our lives so interwoven and connected together that when one part suffers, we all do. God has this funny way of teaching me little lessons about what he wants me to preach upon. And so as I was practicing this sermon and going over it, I was downstairs in D-Hop, and there were some tables up at a time, and I was like, I'm just going to take these tables down and um, move them on so that way Donna doesn't have to do them later. And so I fill up one rack, and I'm like, you know, being stubborn, I didn't want to start a new rack, so I was like, I can get this one last table on that rack. And so as I wheel it onto the rack... All of a sudden, it starts sliding down off of the rack. Now, mind you, these aren't these small, light plastic tables downstairs. If you've ever had one of the round tables downstairs, they probably weigh a good 70, 80 pounds, and they are solid. As it slides off the rack, lands on my toes, (laughs) right? 
So my small little part of the body that's affected, guess what? My mouth sure wanted to respond by what was going on with my toe, all right? And for the next couple weeks, I was hobbling around like this, right? Then my leg's cramping, and from a little toe injury, my whole body's affected. So it is in the body of Christ. I still got a black toenail three weeks later from, from that. But so it is with us. Our life should be so connected that when one part hurts, we all hurt. And when one part rejoices, we all rejoice. The Bible is filled with verses that command us to be involved in the lives. These are just a few of the one another verses in the Bible, abbreviated so I don't bore you. Be at peace with one another, Mark 9, 50. Confess your sins to one another, James 5, 16. Don't complain against one another, James 4, 11. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. Bear with and forgive one another, Colossians 3.13. Be devoted to one another in love, Romans 12.10. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Wash one another's feet, John 13.14. Be subject to one another, Ephesians 5.21. And everyone's favorite, greet one another with a kiss of love, 1 Peter (laughs) 5.14. The point being that the Bible is filled with verses and understanding that we would do life together and that we would be involved in the lives of one another. Jesus goes on to say that if you sin against my brother, you sin against me. Is that our attitude in the church? When someone starts to talk about someone else in the church, is it, no, we're going to stop that because if you sin against him and you talk bad about him, you're insulting me. And that if you cheat my brother, guess what? You're cheating me. going to read a quote. It says, I mean, it means that Christ has put his name on immature Christians and Christians who speak too much at members' meetings and Christians who wrongly give their unbaptized children communion and Christians who love shallow praise songs. Christ has identified himself with Christians whose theology is underdeveloped and imperfect. Christ points to the Christians who wrongly oppose biblical leadership structures and the practice of church discipline and says, they represent me. Sin against them, and you sin against me. We're a body of imperfections. We're a body of brokenness. We're a body that will not always get things right, but there's a command that we must love each other, that we must lay our lives down for each other, The unpopular part of the sermon is that sometimes in church, we have problems. Sometimes in our lives, the greatest wounds that we'll ever experience are done on behalf of people who call themselves Christians because we think they should know better. They should, they're Christians. They, they should have a different standard. They shouldn't treat me like the world treats me or they shouldn't do what the world does. And we have a standard that we hold them to and says, and I'm not here to take away anyone's hurt or pain from church. I'm not here to diminish anything that's been done in your lives by the church. But the truth is, regardless of the pains or the hurts and the things that we experience, we still have a call and a commitment to the body of Christ. Nowhere does it say, don't come to church because of the hurts been done to you by church. Or nowhere does Jesus say, well, you know what, you have a pass on not following me because of the sins done by other Christians. Jesus says this, come and follow me. He gives the clear and precise command that when you're following Christ, you're following him. 
You're not, here, you're not following the body. You're following Christ. And so the tendency is this, as we tend to live our lives in such isolation, so then we build these little walls around us. Well, I've been hurt here, so I'm going to put up this wall and not let anyone else in. And I've been hurt here, so I'm going to build up this wall. And I've been hurt here, and I'm going to build up this wall. And we live in this little box of, and we walk into church so afraid of to share our hurts or our pains or our wounds because of all the hurt that's been done to us, and we live in our little box. So we slip in, and we slip out. And we're in this little box, and then we wonder why we're so alone and so broken and so hurt and wondering where it is. You see, Jesus in Matthew 18 actually gives us a model of how we're actually to resolve conflict and handle conflict. And the beautiful thing is, Jesus knowing that there would be problems in the church, he gave this command before he's ever, you know, entered heaven saying, you know what, you got a problem with your brother? You take it to them. And then, if that doesn't work, you go get an elder, and then you take that problem to them, and you try to resolve it that way. And if that still doesn't work, if that still hasn't been enough, and the still conflict still isn't resolved, then you bring it to the whole church and present it there and work it out. Meaning this, Jesus didn't predict or didn't know or didn't wish upon us that there would be a perfect church and we would never sin and we would never have brokenness among people. In fact, Jesus knew we would have brokenness. He knew that we would still sin and he knew that we would have conflict in church so much so that he put in verses that says, you know what, when there is conflict and when it does happen, here's how you resolve it. Here's how you work it out. And then, you know what, if you want to take step one and you say, well, I'm not going to address that person. They're never going to fix it or they're never going to do anything and they're going to respond this way. He says, you know what, if you don't want to do that, then go get an elder. And then if you don't want to do that, you take it to the whole church. Basically saying that if things aren't resolved and things aren't that, that's not an excuse to walk away from the body of Christ or does not stop following Jesus. He's saying, I want you to actually work through your issues and I want you to solve your problems. That's why he says before you take communion, be at peace with your brother. If you have a disagreement with your brother, you're to solve that before going to communion. Jesus knew that we would struggle and we would have conflict. And here's the truth. I told a group of young adults this two weeks ago. I'm a sinner, and I'm going to fail you, 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 and at some point, I am going to let you down because I am a broken and flawed human being. And at some point, I hope that you would admit that you are all sinners too, and that it's your brokenness, and that you're going to let someone else down, and you're going to disappoint someone else. And so, instead of just building these walls and walking away and being done with it and saying, you know what, I'm done with church, I'm actually going to take Jesus' model, and I'm going to practice forgiveness, and I'm actually going to work on resolving things, and I'm going to trust that because I've been forgiven much, that I'm going to forgive. See, the story, the model of Jesus and forgiveness is that we all know the story that there was a um, man that went to the king, and basically he owed a great debt, and the debt, they say, was a thousand denarii, and he is going to him and saying, you know, I have no way of repaying you. You know, can you just please forgive my debt? So the man is gracious and says, you know what? Be gone with you. Your debt is forgiven. So that man who has just had his thousand denarii forgiven and has just been set free from the bondage of debt walks out and finds a man that owes him a hundred denarii. Says that he takes him by the neck and starts to choke him and saying, where is my 100 denarii? And that guy says, I cannot repay you. Mind you, he has just been forgiven $1,000. Let's put it in practice. He's just been given $1,000 or that, and now he won't forgive the debt of $100 to someone else. 
And so he says, you know what? I'm going to take you and turns him over to the law and that man is thrown in jail and put in jail for not paying back 100 denarii. So the message gets back to the king. He says, hold on a second. I just forgave you 1,000 denarii. You're not going to forgive your brother 100? So then he has that man thrown into jail with him. And he says, so it is for all of us that choose not to offer our brothers and sisters forgiveness. See, forgiveness isn't optional among the body of Christ. It's not a, if I feel like it or if they repent or if they do that, it's not a choice, right? It's a command of the Lord that I must forgive. Why? Because I have been forgiven much. Because when my sins weren't counted against me, that when Jesus looked at that cross, he didn't say, you know what? You don't deserve this. You You didn't earn this. No. Because Christ forgave the inexcusable in me, I am called to forgive the inexcusable in others. And so we must walk as a body. And I understand that's hard and that's difficult and that's challenging. And that for as much as we'd like to, we'd like to live in our little four walls, play it safe and hold on to our fences and hurts and use it as ammunition. But when we do, it robs us of experiencing the forgiveness and grace that God wants to show us. And it, I don't know about you, but some of the most awesome times I've had with the Lord are when I've received forgiveness from other brothers and sisters once I've sinned against them and I've had to come to them and repent and they've offered forgiveness. What a beautiful display of what that looks like. I'll tell a story. I was one time when I was dumb and 18. Me and my friends went to Walmart and we bought a slingshot and we bought these little steel BBs and so I was walking around and I was at home and I shot out some windows of my mom's barn and was like that's pretty cool that was fun but that wasn't as exciting enough so being 18 I was like me and my friends were driving down the road and I was driving the car my friends were just slinging steel BBs at houses (laughs) and we had hit a lady's garage and broken two window panes out of her garage Mind you, the lady filed a police report and all of that, and I was too afraid and terrified, so I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not fessing to that or doing anything about that. And so I was sitting about six months later at a camp, and I was getting ready to counsel. And someone preached a message on forgiveness and repentance and what are some hurdles that you need to clear before moving on with your summer. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I got to go back. I got to drive to that lady's house and tell them that it was me that did that. And then I have to offer money to repay it and to fix it. And I was like, I could still be in trouble. This lady could still be upset and angry that I shot out her windows and I could face legal recourse. I was like, ah. So mustered up the courage that, not the courage, actually just the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I didn't want to turn down. It wasn't anything of me. Trust me, my flesh would have sat there and stayed seated and been silent to this day. But the Holy Spirit has its way of prompting. And so I drive to her house and I knock on her door and she opens the door and I said, ma'am, I have something to tell you. Uh, I shot out your windows six months ago and that was me and a couple buddies and here's the cash that um, I want to pay you to fix it. She looks at me, she starts to cry, and she says, I can't believe you would do that. She's like, but I want you to know that you were forgiven and that your sins are covered, and I don't even want your cash. That was 11 years ago. What a model of forgiveness. 
by someone that I didn't even know, someone that didn't owe it to me, someone that could have rightfully taken my money and had every right to call the cops and have me, you know, fine there. But we're called as a body that we must be a body that walks in forgiveness. Because one, we don't want our lives robbed and hurt by the pains of others. And two, we want to be a body that shows the demonstration of what Christ did on the cross to others. That this should be a place where forgiveness is actually found, where love is actually found, where people who have disagreements actually work things out. When there's problems and there's issues and there's theological disagreements, we actually come together and say we're going to actually unite. Because I don't want to stand someday and have someone say, well, you know what, because of your sin, you know, I'm walking away. Because you know what you do when you do that? You just set the judgment and the standard for your life because you better walk your life perfectly because you don't ever want to be on the receiving end of that. Not saying we're perfect. Not saying that it makes it okay. I'm not saying that it throws a blanket over everything that has happened. There's just a call for us as a body to walk in the forgiveness of Christ because of what he did on the cross. And so as a close, the vision set forth by the elders a few weeks ago was threefold. And one of them was for us to increase the sense of community in the body of Christ. And the picture that was given to me and the image that was given to me by the elders was this, that it was a lot less ministry of you guys here and the elders and everyone else here it looked a lot more like this pew and this pew interacting and that pew and that pew interacting. And it was more across the aisles type of ministry. And I understand for some of us, that's not comfortable. I understand that a lot of us like to slip in, slip out, go unnoticed and you know, be on our jolly way. But if you're going to call Emmanuel Church your home and your body, we're asking you that you would commit to being the body and to being involved, to playing your part. Because if you don't, we all hurt and we all suffer. And I need the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the time and the love and the forgiveness that you all have for my wholeness and for my betterment. And so I wrote down three things, three practical steps that we can take to walk this out. Number one, walk across the aisle to a family or person you fringely or may barely know and have a conversation. Maybe there's someone that sits in here. Let's be honest, we're not a church that's that large, less than 200 people. So there shouldn't be too many people that we at least don't know their name of or a little bit about. And so a lot of us come and we know our little five or our six and we stay in those little boxes. I'm going to challenge you that in the next coming weeks and the next coming Sundays that at greeting time or any of that, you walk up and say, hey, I don't even care if you say, Pastor Ryan told me to do this and I don't want to do this, but I know that I need to do this, okay? You can throw me under the bus real quick, but that I'm going to get to know someone else. And that when that person approaches you, you don't sit there and go, well, how are you? Good. How's your week? good, you know, that you recognize that, hey, this person is taking a step, and I'm going to take a step, and I'm actually going to get my lives connected with someone else that it hasn't been connected to before. I understand that some of us are not that outgoing, and some of us aren't that bold, but we have to have a desire to know each other better. So do you want to come over for lunch? Does your family want to go out for ice cream? How can I get to know you. Because one of the greatest things that aggravates me is that when our comfortability and our safety speaks greater volumes than our service and sacrifice to someone else. Because basically what we're saying is I'd rather sit here in my church pew and play it safe and not be uncomfortable and not be vulnerable and not to do any of that. And that's more important to me 
than maybe the role that I could play in your life. That in reaching out and, well, I put myself at risk. They could reject me. They could that. Too often we like to play it self and that, or safe, and that is selfish. That's committing to our own needs and our own desires than it is to the body of Christ. So one, get to know someone that you don't know. Invite someone over to lunch that you might not always be that comfortable to. Number two, who can you be praying for? Who can you be uplifting? Who can you write a note of encouragement to? Who can you know that, you know, Joseph, I'm going to pray for you this week, and then in three weeks, and then next week I'm going to ask you, how is it? Then the next week I'm going to ask you, how is it? So I can show you that I have prayed and thought and I care about what's going on in your life. Who can you be praying for? Whose needs can you be uplifting? Who needs your encouraging text message to say, you know what, I'm thinking about you this morning. This is the verse that I have for you. But in order to pray for people, you've got to know the concerns and the needs, and you have to be able to share them. And so if someone walks up to you and says, you know what, Sue, how can I pray for you? Share with them. Trust them. Take a leap of faith that this person wants to invest in my life and is going to pray for me. And then thirdly, evaluate your service. How can you contribute to the church family? Maybe you need to be involved in a ministry here. Maybe you need to commit to just being here. Maybe you need to just commit to showing up at 10 (laughs) o'clock. Maybe you need to commit to tithing and giving. I don't know what it is for all of you. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But evaluate your service and think, how can I contribute to my church family? Maybe for some of us, it's more than just showing up and leaving. It's, I need to join the greeting team, or I need to offer my services to the worship team, but that you would evaluate it. So in a moment, Bill's going to come and lead us in communion, but my desire is that we would be a church body, that we would look different, that we would play our parts, and we would celebrate the part that we have to play. That I wouldn't look at Joel and go, well, I can't play the bass or guitar, so I don't have anything to give. No, I would look at my part and I would own that and I would say, you know what, I'm going to play my part for the body of Christ and I'm going to be committed to the body of Christ and I'm going to love the body of Christ and I'm going to serve the body of Christ. And when it gets hard and when it's difficult, I'm not going to flee and I'm not going to run and I'm not going to, I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to walk this out and I'm going to be committed and dedicated because that's what Christ did for his body. And so, I know we're small and maybe that, but Bill comes to do communion. Um, One of the verses is, is that we would hold no anger or bitterness towards anyone else. So maybe some of us need to take some time to have our own hearts set right before the Lord. Maybe our offense is against the body of Christ as a whole, and we need some forgiveness and peace on that. But I would challenge you that if you have those issues or, you, or anything's going on, let today be the day that you find some healing. Let today be the day that you work some of that out. That if there is someone that happens to be in this room that you're holding an offense against, I dare you to get it resolved and to take care of it and to work it out. And then for the rest of us, if you see this person and that person going to talk, not to sit there and go, hmm, wonder what's going on in their lives, you know? You better get around and turn on your knees and pray for your judgment, right? (laughs) Um, But to actually celebrate the body of Christ being the body of Christ, to actually celebrate people walking out Jesus' commands, that I want to live at peace with everyone. 
and that we would be the body, that we would embrace the call to be the body of Christ and to play a part and a role here, that I'm not just gonna sit by. Because the truth is, is that not only does it rob your fellow members of the gifts and the talents and abilities, it also robs you. Because Christ has wired you and given you gifts that if you do not use, you won't find the sense of fulfillment that you would find upon using those gifts. It's like work. We're called to work. We're made to work. And so when we don't work, we're actually missing out a part of what God has called us and wired us to do. And so he's given you all talents and abilities, and he's calling you to use them because in that you find part of the blessing of what it is to know God and how he's gifted you. So let me pray for you, and then Bill will come and we'll celebrate communion. Father, I thank you that the call to be a church is not man-made. The apostles and disciples didn't just think of it and say, you know what, we're going to form a church. Lord, it starts with you. You are the foundation of the church, and it is your call. You died for the body as a whole, and you love us, and it says that you have placed every part, just as you have made my body, organs, bones, everything to work together. You've called the Emmanuel Church to be a body, to work together, to be interwoven. So I pray, Lord, if there are going to be any hurt or offense by church, whether it's 30 years ago or whether it's three weeks ago, Father, I pray that we would find healing and forgiveness, and Lord, that we would have a commitment to love and serve your body. We love you, Lord. We thank you that it's you that calls us here together. Lord, and I'm thankful for the people in my life that have played the role of the body of church and the impact they've had on my life. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me the same opportunity and blessing to do that in the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen.